Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be opening up to Genesis chapter number six. Genesis chapter number six. And I want to tell you today is going to be probably one of the most unique messages that I have ever had to preach. It's going to be a message in that some people, they read this passage of scripture and they will say, oh, that's man, that's stuff of science fiction right there. That, that's something that just seems so, so out of the way and so far fetched. And by the way, this is one of the topics that that has been greatly, greatly debated by many, many wise and, and brilliant men. It's also one of the passages of scripture that I knew the first time I read it, I would be looking through this and I thought to myself, man, one day I'm going to have to preach this. <laughs> and I don't know quite sure how I'm going to do it. And so to, to give you an idea of why this is going to be so difficult and unique is because to give you the facts of what we're getting ready to read, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I don't have an answer. I, I can't tell you exactly where I land. Uh, the first time I heard it, it was one of my Bible teachers. He, he told me this, this, and this. And then I took that to a different teacher. I said, man, I've never heard this before. What, what do you say? And then he looked at me and he said, no, that's not the way it is. And then he started giving me his side of it. And then another man gave me his side. And boy, the more I started to dig and the more I started to look, there are many people that hold to typically three different opinions of this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you, as I have studied all three opinions, they all sound pretty good. And I believe it's going to be one of the things that when we get to heaven, we'll know. I believe when we get there, God will give us the truth. We're going to see. We'll have perfect understanding. It's going to make sense. But until then, there is one thing that will remain true. So this message is going to be in two parts. I'm going to give you, number one, the facts and, and the theories that what some people say is going on in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to tell you where I tend to lean and why I land there. Uh, while, again, I can't be dogmatic, I'll tell you where I am on it. And then on the other side, part two of the message, I'm going to give you how you can use it spiritually. Part two is going to be the same no matter where you are on part one. Part two, you can take home. Part two, you can use. Part one is going to be something that's just, just kind of for fun. It's going to be something you have to put on your thinking caps, and you might think to yourself, wow, never seen this before. But I think we're going to have fun with it. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis, chapter number six and verse number one. Genesis chapter six, verse number one. The Bible says this. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were men of old, men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. 
Lord, I pray this morning as we've been taking a look at your scripture and as we as we study it, as we talk about it, Lord, I pray that you would help us to honor you in it. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us the clarity of thought and the uh, Lord, the illumination, the understanding that only the only you can give. And Lord, above all, we want you to be glorified by what we do here today. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. OK, so what I've done to kind of help me out with this, I'm going to give us a little bit of an outline this morning. And I've entitled it the part you get to take home. The pattern of life, as in the pattern of, of mankind in general. Okay, it's not about the, from the time you're born to the time you die. But you know, there's a pattern that you see throughout all of history. And the pattern is like this. And by the way, the pattern is one that's very sad. God created Adam. Adam went his own way, disobeyed. And then he basically sinned against God, cursed the whole world. And then here comes the next generation. You have Cain and Abel. They decided they were going to go their own way. Mankind was, again, I guess they were sinful. Cain, he killed his brother Abel. And then now you have Cain's family. They decided to pursue the things that only the world can offer. That was music and business and, uh, and then metallurgy, which is science, which was all good stuff, by the way. But that's all they had. They didn't have God. So they went that way and they grew in those things. And boy, they got smart. And mankind went so far to where in all the world, with what we believe to be a just about a completely populated world, where only one family worshiped God sin. Just one. That was Noah. So God looked, the world was so wicked, it was wicked continuously, God had to destroy it. We're getting a little bit ahead because of the flood. So now here we are after the flood. God says, hey, I'm going to have this group of people. Israel, you are going to be my chosen people. What did Israel do? And he said, well, yeah, God, you've been good to us, but I think we're going to worship false gods anyway. And then we saw they ended up going into civil war, and there was a, a part of the country that was, again, wicked continuously. Then Jesus Christ showed up again, and he says, look, here I am. I'm here to take away the sins of the world. Mankind said, no, nah, we're going to put him on a cross. And then now today, here we have God's word. We'll take God's word to people. We'll take God's word to around the world. And then we'll say, oh, look, here's, here's the gospel. It's truth. It's good. Do you realize that in 1948, 2% of the American population said we are religiously unaffiliated? In 2017, it was 20%. The American population says no religion at all whatsoever. We don't believe there is a God. And then we're going to see one day that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he's going to set up his kingdom here on the earth. The Bible talks about that in Daniel as well as in Revelation, Thessalonians, a few places like that. And then what he's going to do is he's going to set it up and he's going to have those that believe to rule and reign with him. And then there's going to be another group of people that say, yeah, right there he is in front of me, but I still don't believe. The whole point is, starting all the way back in Genesis, we're going to find that there's a pattern throughout all the Bible, throughout all history, and throughout all prophecy. Mankind is given an opportunity, and mankind leads towards the things of the world and towards his own way and towards his own will. But what we're going to do is we're going to dig into part number one. This is the stuff that's going to be, it's going to be fun, it's going to be interesting, it's going to be a little bit thought-provoking, but I want you to put your thinking caps on Part number one, this is the debate. The debate is what is going on in this passage of Scripture? What is being talked about? Well, when you saw it, verse number one and two kind of presents the stage. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. So mankind is spreading throughout the world now. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were fair and they took to them wives of all which they chose. 
And then it kind of brings us this question in verse number four. There were giants in the earth in those days. So what is that talking about? That word giant, if you actually look at the Hebrew text, I hope I say it right. The Hebrew word, which was you know, the original language, was nephilim, nephilim, something like that, which is where some of you may have heard the word nephilim, which they just kind of put it, I am on the end of it to talk about a group of people or a group of beings, so to speak. So here's, here's the overall thing. You have one group, which is debatable what they are. You have another group, it's debatable what they are. They mix together, and that brought a third group. What are they? Now, that's kind of the big debate. Some people say, oh, well, they're just men. Some people say, well, it was men mixing with angels, and it had created giants. And then these giants were mighty warriors. Then some people would say, oh, well, it was just godly men, ungodly people. And that grew a race of really, really ungodly people. Well, we're going to give you the three different thoughts. And, and so I was actually looking at this. The first one we're going to look at is one that's pretty popular. Um, if, you, if you have seen, and I think that's the first one I've got for you. I just want to make sure. Yes. The first one we're going to look at is what are, what is this, these beings? What are these giants? What are the sons of God? Well, some people say it's a mixture of fallen angels and physical human women. If you have seen the, um, the movie, which I have not, but I just know it was in there. Uh, there was a movie with Russell Crowe where he was supposed to be Noah. And in this, in this movie, you have these, uh, these creatures. They're like made of rock. They're made of stone. And again, I haven't seen it, but I looked at the clip. It's on YouTube or something. And you have these creatures that are made of stone. They called them the Nephilim, how they were, they were fallen angels. And they were here on the earth, and, they, and they, were, they were this. There is no reference at all to Scripture to people being made of stone. Okay, But this is where that idea comes from. So where do we see fallen angels? And is it possible for an angel to have a child with a person? And, and if that's the case, would that be some kind of half-breed super being? Because when you look at it, look at verse number two. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took them wives. Verse number four. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bear children unto them, being mighty, which were men of old, men of renown. So there's these giants. They're mighty men. They're the sons of God, daughters of women. See, there we go. I mean, that would make sense to be angels and, and, and women. And then you have these, these you know, super beings. Okay, well, that's one theory. And by the way, they're a lot, a lot of very, very brilliant and very scholarly men that hold to this. Um, so so I, would, I would, you know, again, I can't be dogmatic about any of the three. But at the end of it, I'm going to tell you which one I lean towards. Here's where this one first comes in. There are some proofs and there are some problems. I'm going to give you the proofs and problems with all of them. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to cram a probably a three to four hour long debate into about 10 minutes. So we're just going to give you the, the main proofs of it. Number one, in Jude and in Peter, there is a reference in the New Testament in the book of Jude and the book of Peter. The Bible talks about this group of angels which left their first estate, which means where they were originally, they became something else. And then when you go to the book of Jude, it talks about a certain number of angels. They did something. It doesn't say what. But they did something that was just so, so heinous and vile that even as demons, they were taken and they were bound in the earth. Like they're chained up and they're still there today. I believe it's under, actually, but under the river Euphrates or something like that. 
uh, or in, in Tartarus, if I remember correctly. Anyhow, the point is that these fallen angels, already being demons, already having fell from heaven, they've now done something so wicked and so vile that God had to take them and chain them up down there, which is a punishment on top of what all the other fallen angels have done. So what is it? Could it be that they decided to mess up God's perfect race? Could have been. Would make sense. Because they've done something. Here they are. They left their first estate. And we could talk about what all that means. So we could say, hey, there's a proof. It would go right into that. There's a couple more. And I took one away. Um, If you go over to the book of Numbers. Okay, we're not going to turn there. But if you go to the book of Numbers, the very last chapter. There's a passage of scripture where 12 spies went into Canaan's land. Twelve spies went in, and two of them, there's actually a song I used to sing as a kid. Twelve, twelve spies went to Canaan's land. Ten were bad, and two were good. And you know, the ten spies, they came back, and they looked at all the Israelites and said, Oh, Israel, we can't go into Canaan's land. They're, they're, there's too much. Man, but we can't defeat those people. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. We, we, are, we are but so small, and they are so, they are so huge. Could these be the sons of an act? And again, that word... Giants, or Methil in the Hebrew, is used. So there again, we see another reference, and he talks about how we're being so small. Then some people said, yeah, but those ten spies were liars because they also said the land was unheard, which the Bible tells us it was a land of no honey. So maybe we have to take what he says with a grain of salt. But the point being, they saw, and that word is used again, and they said, we're, I mean, we're nothing when it comes to what the people we see in the land of Canaan. So could it be that there's another proof? Maybe. So we're also going to see a third one here as well. If you were to go over to the book of Job, and we're not going to turn there, but if you were to go there and you were to look at the very first chapter, the first, the first couple of chapters there, there's a story about where Satan himself goes to God. And the Bible talks about how in, in the phrase that is used, there was a time that the sons of God made himself known or appeared to God. And Satan also came amongst them. So what we know is that there was some kind of big conference held in heaven where a spiritual being showed up. And those spiritual being, beings were called the sons of God. So, there again, we have to ask ourselves, could it be that in Genesis 6, the sons of God are mixing with the daughters of men had some children, and now you have these mighty men of old. You know, I mean, I can see where that thought's coming from. I mean, you know, that, that theory plays in. But there's a few problems with it as well. One, there is no place in Scripture, not one, not one, where you will find a fallen angel having a physical body. You'll not find it. Now, sometimes God, he sent his angels from heaven down. He sent them, and he gave them one. For example, Sodom and Gomorrah, when those two angels showed up with swords, and they turned into warriors, and ended up, you know, having a big battle there. Yeah, God sent them down. They had that. Then Jesus showed up, and when in the New Testament, he said, look, look at my hands. I am not here in spirit. I am here in body. You can't, you can't see, uh, you can't see a spirit in the sense that God's a spirit. No one has seen him at any time. So we could say there's a problem there as well, because you'll not find a fallen angel Becoming a person. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the scripture. So that's one problem that we have with it. Uh, number two, and this is kind of a big one because we're going through in the beginning. Do you remember in the first couple chapters, every time God told people to reproduce or told a group to reproduce, it said after his kind. The beasts of the field reproduce after their kind. 
The fish of the sea, after their kind. Humans, after their kind. Birds, after their kind. You can't mix a bird and a fish. That, that's a law that God made. That, that is almost a, a law of physics. You can't, you can't take one creature and mix it with something else and come out with a hat. Now, I mean, you could do two types of dogs. They've done a lion and a tiger. They, what, what do they call it? Like a, a liger or something? Right? I mean, they're both felines, and yeah, that works. But you can't take a horse and a cat. It's a different kind. So we would say that for someone to say that, okay, an angel, different kind, and a human, different kind, for them to mix, that would be going against the law that God put into place. So that's another problem that I have with this, again, with this theory. Um, another one would be this, if it'll come up. Didn't God destroy them all? This is kind of a problem. All right, here's, here's where the problem is. People would say that when this mixed race came, oh, they were so, they were so strong, they were so powerful, and they were so mighty, and they were so wicked. That's why God had to send the flood, so he could destroy them all. Okay, well, if God sent the flood, and he destroyed them all, then how come we see the same word showing up in Numbers, which is a long time after the flood? Why are they there again? You see, that, to me, that kind of raises a question as well. If the angels already came, they did their act, now they're chained up for their sin, and the mixed, the mixed breed was done away with, how come they're still talking about it? So to me, that shows an inconsistency there as well, if you're you know, following this line of thought. So there are some people, yes, that think this way, and by the way, a lot of brilliant men do. I look forward to when I get to heaven to finding out the answer. But for now, I can't be dogmatic on it. So the giants, they would say that this is the, the mixed race. They were, they were great size, right? Verse number four. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bear the children unto them. So that's who they would say the giants are, or the, the Nephil. Now, there's another theory that these were possessed men, as in demonically possessed men, mixing with women. Okay, well, that kind, of, that kind of solves a couple problems, doesn't it? Because now you're talking about, you have, you have the fallen angels, which, by the way, demonic possession is a real thing. Now you have, and I know I like to say this every time, don't get your idea of what demonic possession looks like from TV. It's two totally different things. They're trying to sell movie tickets. They're not trying to give the truth. Anyway, so while we understand there are fallen angels, they were angels, now they're demons, and sometimes, yes, they can possess people. We see that in the Bible. Could it be that they took control of these men's bodies and then now they had a relationship with a, with a female and then now we have this mixed Now we just have these, these men that are men, but boy, they've got some kind of, uh, what would we call it, almost like a, a, a demigod type thing, like your Hercules. Yeah, he's a man, but you know, he's, he's half God too. Maybe that's where that came from, because it was a little mixture of both. That's the theory. And again, it would solve the no-body problem, because, you know, you have a fallen angel taking over someone. It solves, you know, it actually kind of solves a number of problems. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some, some proofs and, again, some problems. Number one, it allows for spiritual beings to be involved. It actually makes a way for the fallen angels to show up. Okay, you know, that, that makes sense. Um... Number two, it does kind of show us, and it gives, it gives credence to that, there were two groups of something mixing. We, we know there were two separate. They obviously weren't just both people that loved God and were having children. Well, no, there were, there were two separate somethings. 
So it gives an answer to that. But the problems are one, I think, here more significant. There are still demonically possessed people after the flood. Okay? There are still demonically possessed people today. So if those people today were still able to have children, we would still have these Nephilim that people would call them. We would still have these quote-unquote giants today. They would still be here. We would still look around. We would still see them because Satan is still active. Okay, his people are still active. All through the Bible, we see people becoming uh, possessed with things of, of Satan. Now, and again, with that, usually it, it manifests, it makes itself known in ways that we wouldn't expect. You know, if you want to see what a demon-possessed person looks like, you need to go over to the gospel. I think it's the book of John, uh, where you'll see a man known as the maniac of Udera. And if you want to know what a demon-possessed person does, he's a person that he is, he is uncontrollable, he cuts himself, and he wants nothing to do with society. He, he lives outside of the world, and nobody can tame him, and nobody can control him. It's not that he's a person that shows up and tortures people and rolls his eyes back his head and all that kind of stuff. It's actually, if you could just imagine somebody going literally insane and then you know, being involved in everything sinful, that's what that person would be. So there, there are still people we understand like that today. Now, I, I might not can always call it or see it, we would still have that problem, is, is the point. So who are these giants? They would be ordinary men, but they would have these great superhuman abilities because of who their, what, what their parent was. One of their parents was, you know, kind of a crossbreed or something. And then now number three. Godly people mixing with ungodly people. Godly people mixing with ungodly people. Or some people uh, kind of even make this more specific. They would say the family of Seth mixing with the family of Cain. If you were here last week, we talked about how, man, you have Seth's family. That was the only family that wanted to worship God. After Abel, after Abel had died, Seth came along, and it was going to be through the family of Seth that Jesus Christ showed up. And then you had the family of Cain, the murderer, how his family, they ended up becoming all basically godless. And they want to go their own way. So now some people have said you have godly people and ungodly people mixing. Here's what we're going to talk about with this. What are some proofs that would make this make sense? Well, here they are. Sons of God is used for Christians in multiple places. So when it says in verse number one, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. And daughters were born unto them. Again, you have people multiplying. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. So if you were to go over to the New Testament, how many times do we see God being called our Father? You know, if you were to go over to Romans, you said, if you, were, if you do this and this, and you are the Son of God indeed, you're the child of God. Folks, we can be called the children of God. I mean, that, that could be us. So it could very well simply be people that were uh, people that were children of the Lord. After the flood, there are still people that fell away. And I've, I've kind of missed something. I should have told you guys this before. I'm sorry. I might have messed this up. The word nephil, nephilim, the, 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 the Hebrew word, that word was, is one that hasn't been used from what I understand, because I don't speak Hebrew. But from what I understand, that that hasn't been used for a very, very long time. And through the course of thousands of years, they've kind of quit using it, so they had to dig up what the words meant. And they come up with one basic meaning. 
For the word nephil, they, they come up with the, a being of a person that was fallen. He was, or a feller, so to speak, as he fell a tree. A giant, or a, a tyrant, excuse me, was another word. So a feller and a, a tyrant, someone that was mighty. So they took this idea of someone that was known for being mighty, someone that's known for, for being tyrannical, someone that is known for being fallen, and they, they use this word. Some, some men have translated it. They actually just give you the word Nephilim in there. But in the King James Bible, we have the word giant. So if we're taking that, those main roots, the idea of a, a fallen, mighty, tyrannical person, it doesn't necessarily have to mean someone that we're looking up at that's like 30 foot tall. Okay. I mean, how many of us have said, oh, this guy, he is a giant of his industry. He is a giant of this. He is a giant of the faith. You know, that, that's a word that we use, and sometimes we translate it in that way. So what we could be looking at here is after the flood, these people, they are still falling away. So these men of Canaan, over in Numbers, right now after the flood, they're looking out to the men of Canaan. They were going to be wicked, ungodly, tyrannical men that they were still looking at saying, we can't defeat them. They're just they're too mighty. They're, they are too fallen. They are too fallen away from God. They, they are all consuming themselves, and they are mighty. And you know, that's one that would kind of, kind of make sense. It would kind of fall into that. So after the flood, we still have people falling away as it is today. So that solves the after the flood problem. And then obviously, number three, mankind. They can obviously mix with mankind. I mean, it, there's, there's, no, there's no question there. We don't have to wonder, well, how was an angel be able to do this? You know, if you have someone that is godly, the Bible tells us it is wise for a godly person to marry a godly person. There was actually something they told the Jews. Hey, Jews, be not unequally yoked together with one another. Talking about, don't go over to this other country and marry someone that's going to worship a false god because they're going to twist your heart. They're going, to, they're going to make you confused with what you believe. So it could be that you have these ungodly, wicked people that are worshiping false things, and then you have those that actually want to worship Jehovah God, and now they are mixing, and the only product of that is, is the sin snowball. You have the ungodliness growing and growing and growing, which, by the way, would make sense, since Noah was the only family left. He was the only one left in all the world because of that. Again, we talked about that snowball. So mankind, they can obviously mix with one another. There are a couple problems which I seem to be kind of less significant. All right, well, what about the angels we talked about? I mean, they're there. The Bible tells us. Okay, it tells us they did something awful. Doesn't have to be what happened in Genesis. I mean, it could have been done something that wasn't recorded in Scripture. You know, that's, that's possible. Um, there's a problem. How were the men then in grasshopper in their numbers? They were, you know, they were, uh, they were looking at these men. Well, again, we could say that would be another one of the problems. What exactly did he mean when he said, hey, we're, we're like, we're like grasshoppers. I mean, we're nothing compared to these guys. Well, obviously they were, they were mighty in some way. So we could say there's a problem there with that as well. But then we would know this, that the giants that's talked about, we would call them just simply tyrants that were known for their sin. If you're following this, this vein of thought. So in verse number four, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were men of old, men of renown. And the whole point of the next few verses is that everything was wicked. That's the whole point. So 
Again, like I said, this is something that's really unique. In some ways, you would think this is, I mean, this is almost some science fiction. You're talking about angels mixing with people and, and cross-breed beings that God had to come and destroy. Listen, I, I know good men on every, every single one of these blocks that, that believe every train of thought. And for me, where I personally land, I, I'm going to say, number one, that, that I can't be dogmatic about any of them. I lean more towards number three, godly people with ungodly people, because that's the pattern that we usually see through life. That tends to be the, the whole point of the scripture is that mankind was growing wicked, that wicked was growing continuously. That's the whole point as you continue through verse number five. Could I get to heaven and find out that I'm wrong? Yeah. That's why I want everyone to know that I can't I can't stand firm. I can't be concreted into any of these. I've actually, believe it or not, I've actually changed positions before <laughs> with this one. And before I die, I might end up changing again. You know, maybe I'll find some other proof that makes me lean towards another one. So this is one of those scriptures that I think one day we're going to find out. I just wanted you to see what the big three views are. The overall point is you have one group mixing with another group, and that bred wickedness. Wickedness came from that. So here's your big three views, and this is the part here we're going to spend over the next few minutes. You get to take this one home with you. Okay, so we can, at least I can. I can take a breather now because now I can get back to what I know from Scripture. Here's what you get to take home as the undeniable fact. Here's the lesson. This is what you want to take home with you. And by the way, this is one that's not, it's not one that's very happy to think about. Because sin is never a wonderful thing. We see, number one, that man will always choose his own way. Man, in and of himself, he will choose his own way. Now, again, this is, this is collective. Are there some people that choose to follow God? Yes. But it seems like history tells us as a whole, mankind always seems to want to go and do his own thing. I mean, even children, they are born with a will. They want to do what they want to do. And it's the job of a parent to teach them the difference between right and wrong. We're born with that. We're, we're going to go that way. And we see the man starts choosing his own way already in verse number one. And it came to pass when men, see, we know we're talking about men. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, whoever they be, saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. See, to me, that's kind of the point of the passage. You have these men that's just going out and say, hey, I want this one, I want this one, I want this one, I want this one, with that absolutely no regard to what God thinks. I mean, that, that to me is the overwhelming theme of that verse. You have men just doing whatever it is they want to do. And folks, let me tell you something. Any person that lives his life with no regrets, with no remorse, and with no moral compass, that person is in danger of doing some very, very wicked things. If, if you've ever, and this, I guess it isn't really, it probably really isn't, but if you've ever studied some of the, some of the thought processes of some of these mass murderers, and you know, these, these men that are able to commit just some heinous and awful crime, it's like they're able to do these things with no regret. And they'll just admit it. Yeah, God, yeah, some of these guys, they're even proud of it. Is that, and I could be wrong, is, isn't that what they call like a sociopath, someone that has no emotion at all? 
I mean, there's, there's more without it. And they're able to do these awful things. Why? Because they're going their own way. There's a verse of Scripture that talks about every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when every man does what's right in his own eyes, instead of what's in God's eyes, we can mark it down. We're going to mess up. We're going to get it wrong. That's why we have to go God's way. We have to let God be our compass. So there's a few thoughts with that. Man's way usually is what looks good. We talked about that with Cain last week, didn't we? Man, if you were to look at these two families, you've got Seth's family over here. I mean, you've got, man, it doesn't really seem like they're doing much. I mean, you had Enoch that walked with God. He was a prophet. And boy, he got to go to heaven without dying. But over here, Cain's family, man, they figured out how to make swords. They figured out how to work with metal. They figured out how to be ranchers and just grow a, grow a business. Man, over here, they figured out how to play music. That looks pretty good. Well, so let me tell you, man's way in man's eyes is going to look good to a man. But we have to look at God's word to see what God would want. Man's way usually is one that spreads quickly. Man's way usually is one that spreads quickly. Because, well, it's our way. We like it. We like doing what we want to do. Have you ever seen uh, or ever heard about a mob mentality? If you've ever seen a mob or a group, they're an angry mob, boy, they're out here doing this. All it takes is for one of them to all of a sudden start being violent, and then all the rest of them are going to be violent. I mean, it just it spreads. The way men think, it spreads like a wildfire because it's our way. It's what we like. It's what we want to do. The sad part, though, is this, that man's way also, it brings judgment. Man's way is one that brings judgment because man's way is the way of sin. Verse number five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. Folks, wickedness grew so much that God had to destroy the wickedness. Number two, and we're going to move through these next two quick because we're running out of time. Man, number two, man's way, it actually in a way kind of destroys God's way. And I, and I don't love the word destroy, but it's the best word I can think of. But the point I'm trying to make is that man's way, it kind of overshadows God's way. That's probably a better word. It, it overshadows God's way because what we are here, we can see one another, can't we? I can see the way my wife thinks. You guys can see the way I think. We see the way one another thinks. And then because usually when we're together, when we're in a group, man, we can start agreeing with one another. You know, we'll, we'll pat each other on the shoulder. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea, man. I, I can back you on that. And, and when we start getting together and we start talking, and then when you look at the things over here, like with Cain, and you see all the things that's growing there, man, man's way looks good, doesn't it? But where is God in all that? I mean, you, you take, you take, let's say you go to New York City. And again, remember, there is nothing wrong with, with industry and growing and progress. But the point is, if you were to pop yourself in the middle of New York City and you were to start looking around, you know what you're going to be seeing? Man's way. Where is God in the midst of all? Where would you find him? Do you see him being worshipped? Would you see him being honored? Not, not that these things in themselves are awful. But they, they, seem to, they seem to get into our eyes quicker, don't they? They seem to spread quicker. 
the ideas of man seem to spread quicker, which is why today, if you're a philosopher, you get so much more publicity than if you're a prophet or a, or a pastor. You see, that, that's, that's man's way. Man's way spreads. And it seems to overshadow it. So we're going to see that the mixing, it dwindles the servants of God. The mixing of man's way and God's way, it dwindles the servants of God. That's why it continued to say in verse number five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was only evil. So with what little bit you have of the people that serve God, if they start bringing in man's way into their life, if they start accepting sin, if they start saying, oh, this, this thing is against God, but it's okay. This person, they, they, they worship false gods and false idols, but that's okay. Hey, this type of sin, it says it's wrong in the Bible, but still, we're going to accept you. That's okay. I can promise you, the ones that still want to obey and serve God, their life's going to start getting really, really bad. And eventually, it might even get stomped out. Because this way can overtake this way. Folks, this is what started happening with them. They were mixing the children of God, whoever the sons of God there were. They were mixing with the wicked ways of the world, and the world became wicked continuously. This is where we said before, in modern America, we are now to the point where 20% of people have absolutely no religious affiliation at all. None. That means two out of ten would say basically they're atheists or Otherwise, they just don't care. And then furthermore, I wish I had the actual picture in front of me. I had it. But, but those that we would say hold to the truths of the Christian faith. So as a, as a secular organism, they would say Protestantism, which I have a little bit of a qualm saying we're Protestants. But anyway, they would say that even us, again, since 1948, that belief has dwindled in America, I believe, by 30%. From like 60s down to the 30s or something. Folks, it has happened over and over. It happened in scriptures and it's happened today. The things of God can always be overshadowed by the things of the world if Christians don't do their job and spread the truth of God's word. And number three, the more man is promoted, the more that God is demoted. And man, we start to see that even in churches. We start to see that even with the people that hold up the Bible. How many times do we talk about preachers? And I'm not picking on preachers because this is a danger for all of them. But if a preacher, if his name is more popular than the name of the God he is preaching about, something is backwards. Folks, a preacher's job is to say, hey, look, thus saith the Lord, not thus saith the pastor. It's, it's, this, this is God's word. Take it, read it. Understand it. I want you to know it. And so if a man, if he just simply promotes himself and he lifts up himself, then God will be demoted, which is why it went so far to verse number six. It repented the Lord that he had made man on and it grieved him at his heart. Folks, I want to show you this. I'm, I'm, I'm going backwards on it. No, we're going good. Man's way, it's going to bring judgment. We kind of saw that a minute ago, but this is the final point. Verse number seven. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the bowels of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Now, I want us to understand before we get into the flood, because we're talking about the flood. That's, that's what's coming next. A lot of people say, oh, look how cruel God is. 
If you really believe that that the the flood happened, man, rain fell from the sky and he destroyed every single living person, you must believe in such a cruel God. Well, no, I don't. Because I want you to think of this. The entire world had already rejected God except one thing. They made their choice. Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Jacob. There were no ones left. What would have happened if Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jacob this last family, when they died and passed away, what would have been left? You wouldn't have had a single believer on the face of the world. They would have been on this world completely lost, not searching for God, not caring for God, not having a Bible, and not having a hope and not having a prayer. By the way, it was through the family of Noah that Jesus Christ was eventually going to show up. So what if Noah would die? There would have been no godly heritage from Jesus Christ to show up and even die. So what did God do? He, for the sake of the race of all of humankind, by the way, that's you and that's me. He sort of set a reset button. He took Noah and he set Noah aside. The last family, the last group, the last hope for God's people, by the way. And set them aside and protected them. And said, I'm going to take care of you while I do away with the sin with those that have rejected It's not that God was in hate destroying the world. It's that God was acting revenge or or vengeance rather on sin. Look, Adam's way, it got him kicked out of the garden. That's sin. Sin is going to bring the fall. Man's way is one that brought the flood. That's why verse number six, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. He looked at the way that had all been taken over by sin, his, his perfect creation. I mean, everything he had was so perfect and and had been ruined. The Bible says that grieved him. That hurt his heart that he was going to have to go and that he was going to have to fix it. Ladies and gentlemen, man's way is what puts Christ on the cross. And that's the pattern that we have to take with us. We need to understand that the pattern of humankind starts off knowing God And it dwindles and dwindles and dwindles till it becomes nothing. So what that means for us is this, and this is what we need to take home. Let's make sure that the heritage we leave after us is one for the Lord. Let's make sure that what we leave behind is one that isn't getting smaller and smaller, but one that's getting bigger for the name of God. Let's make sure that when we leave, we leave behind a group of people that say, hey, Man, I saw the way that they lived. They believed in Jehovah God. Man, I can believe in that too. That's something that's real to me. That's something that makes sense. Let's see to it that we do our part while we're here. That we leave a godly heritage for the Lord. Folks, God showed us here that in this one passage in Genesis chapter 6. Remember, we've said it before. They didn't have a Bible. At the time, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have the synagogues. Basically, they were just left to... To spend time with God, to make sacrifices and do things the way they had been taught, the way that Adam taught them. It was passed down from word of mouth. Moses is actually the one that you know, wrote this book, the book of Genesis. God showed him in the past and he was able to write it down historically. Well, they didn't have those things. Let's take the tools that we've been given and promote that. Folks, in the end, man's way is going to bring the final judgment. And what I mean by that is we, we've not... We've not gotten into it as a church yet, but some of you are familiar with Revelation and what happens at the end. You know, the world has a beginning. Everything that has a beginning eventually has an end. 
And the reason that the world is going to have to be judged is because of sin. Not because of hate. Not because God's just so done and fed up with it all. No. It's that God's way is perfect. And there will be judgment there. And lastly, we see this. God's way, luckily, will once again bring perfection. When sin is done away with, and everything is done, and everything's right, everything's going to be good. You and I will one day get to see a place as perfect as to where the lion is going to lay down with the wolf. I mean, or excuse me, a lion is going to be able to lay down with the wolf. We won't be able to see that. We will get to see a day when there is no sin. We will get to see a time when everyone loves and honors God. We're going to see a day when there's no more hate. We're going to see a day when there's, there's no more anger. When there's, when there's no more bitterness, when there's no more uh, people getting upset, when there's no more people that, that would want to murder, no one would lie, no one would cheat, no one would steal. There's, we're going to see a day when all that's gone because God's judgment's going to get rid of it. That's what had to happen with the flood because us, our pattern, is always going to be down. And then God's going to be the one to come fix it. And folks, we're looking forward to that day. And what I want to encourage us to do as those that are believers, as those that now know and see the Lord. Let's not let our pattern be one that's down. Because we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit, let's let our pattern be one that goes up. And so we'll go home with this final thought. The path of mankind, as in our own way, man's way, the way of the world, it's one that in the end brings destruction. But we get the choice. We can honor God. We can choose to follow Him that doesn't lead to destruction. If we follow the path of Christ, one day that will lead us back to perfection with the Lord. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know today was one that was, this message that was different. It was one that's, that, that it was an interesting study for me as well. I hope I've sparked your curiosity continuing your study. But as far as the lesson goes, let's take the lesson home with us to want to further the message of the gospel. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, thank you for giving us such another wonderful and beautiful day. God, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for the truth of the Bible. And Lord, while I might not always have a perfect answer for everything that's in it, Lord, you still never seem to leave us without the truths that we need. And I pray that, but I pray that as just simply a man and all of us here today, I pray that it would be our prayer that we would want to leave a godly heritage. That for the short time we're here on this earth, that after we leave and after we're gone, we will have spread the gospel. We will have shown others the truth. And that we will fight against that, that downward spiral of man.